Welcome to the first in this uh, new series, which is uh, titled Growing in Christ. Growing in Christ. Now, it, it is based, as Roz pointed out earlier, on a, a book written by the Navigators, which is a discipleship organization. There's about two million uh, that have sold in this series, so it's quite a popular series around the world. Fantastic series for getting grounded in the fundamental basics of Christianity and having a relationship with Jesus, but also we're using it in a secondary way as well because um, I've got a real heart that some of us become disciple makers. And this is a great tool for discipling a new Christian. When I was a new Christian, uh, I went through a series very similar to this and would meet one-on-one and we'd go through the book together, talk about life together, pray together. And uh, it was just a fabulous way of getting grounded as a new believer. So it's also very good if you're wanting to say, hey, look, I've, I've got a friend who's just become a Christian. Um, I'd love to get them grounded in their newfound faith. It's a great way of doing it. So it's a tool to help us make disciples as well. And the only prep you really need is listen to the message, complete the book. You're ready then to take someone else through that. Now, our topic today is assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. Um, I still remember chatting with a, a lady at a bus stop many years ago. And we, as we talked, I realized she was a regular churchgoer. As the conversation went on, though, I realized she didn't have any assurance of salvation. Uh, in fact, um, when I explained to her, and I quoted a verse, which I'm about to quote in a moment, saying that actually we can know. We can know, we can be confident, we are on our way to heaven. She thought that was the, the height of arrogance, that anyone could know they're on the way to heaven because surely how many good works we do in and outside of the church, how would we ever know if we've ever done enough to be confident we're on our way to heaven? Um, because she simply didn't understand that concept of grace, which we're going to talk about in a moment. This is a verse I quoted to her. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And you see, that verse is telling us it's about having Jesus in your life, and you therefore can be confident of heaven. Now, what does the verse tell us? Well, first of all, who gives eternal life? God does. Where is eternal life found? In God's Son. Who, who has eternal life? The person who has God's Son in their life. Who doesn't have eternal life? The person who doesn't have God's Son in their life. Now, what, what does it mean to, to have the Son of God in your life? Well, I think this verse helps explain it. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts. We got the idea? It's, it's referring to the Holy Spirit in our hearts, meaning that's what it means to have Jesus in your life. Um, one of the uh, uh, ladies doing the Alpha course was um, saying that her understanding of um, getting to heaven, uh, although she's not really a churchgoer, but uh, had a, a heritage where she had some understanding and she thought, that it was about if you do a lot of good works, then you kind of, you can make your way to heaven. But after watching the first installment of Alpha, the first clip, she understood that, oh no, it's, it's about faith in Jesus. 
let's break up that verse. That's the primary verse we're going to be looking at today, and I'm going to, going to break, up it, break it up piece by piece. It starts this way. This is the testimony. This is the testimony. 1 John 5.11, that's the first bit of the verse. Now, what does that mean? This is the testimony. What's the testimony? Well, looking here at John's gospel towards the end, it says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The testimony, John is explaining that the that biography he writes about Jesus' life is a testimony revealing that Jesus is genuinely the Messiah, is genuinely the Son of God, and that it's through him alone that you can discover eternal life. Second bit of the verse, number two, God has given us eternal life. Now, how was God able to give us eternal life? Well, David, as he was leading communion, he quoted John 3.16, and that's the heart of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, let me reveal in this verse here in Romans about evidence that God loves us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember what David did? During communion, David opened his arms. book of Romans makes that very clear that that is really it's the ultimate demonstration remember Jesus said one day greater love has no one than this than they're willing to die for their friends it's an extraordinary evidence and I know all of us probably at times may feel like well God's let me down in this way or God allowed that to happen or God did this it makes me feel unloved or unsupported by him but the truth is God does love us why did Jesus need to die we're told in the book of Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Iniquities has to do with the shortcomings in our life, our failings, the things we know that are not good or not healthy, whether internal, emotional, mental, or whether external things we do, stuff that doesn't measure up to God's requirements. We're told in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of God's standards. And this was the reason Jesus ultimately had to die. Because I've talked with people who don't do church and don't have a lot of understanding of God, but are open. And I say, do you ever feel separated from God? And they say, yes, I do. Well, this is the reason, friends. But Jesus can deal with that. Look at this chasm here. A lot of people feel a little bit like that. Suggesting God's over on the, the green side. A lot of people feel like, well, how do I get there? How do I connect with God? I kind of think God is real. How do I connect with him? And so people try a whole bunch of different things to connect with God. Let's have a look at this next image. They do things like good works. Remember the, the lady at the bus stop thought it was all about good works. Other people try a religion. Some people might be generous with their money and give a lot of money to charities or churches. Some people feel that morality is all it's about as long as you're morally upright. Back to my church in England, I remember after I'd spoken about the resurrection of Jesus, um, it was, uh, we had a discussion around some tables afterwards and got talking with two ladies um, 
And both of them were struggling to feel that it was necessary to believe in the resurrection. But also one of them said, I can't believe a couple of my friends are not on their way to heaven. And I said, do they believe in Jesus? And she said, no, not at all, not at all. But they're such nice people. They're such lovely people. Because she thought, thought that morality bridges that gap. As long as you're morally upright, you're on your way to heaven. But that's actually not what the Bible teaches. Let me share with you what the, the scriptures actually say. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. What am I explaining there? Well, the Apostle Paul here is explaining to the world, we're still reading it today, that actually we are saved by God's grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's a, it's a gift. It's a free gift. It's not something we earn. And it's through faith. It's actually believing what Jesus taught. Believing in Jesus is the pathway to salvation not earning your way there by doing good things. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but Lee, that's, that's, but Christians are supposed to do good things. Absolutely. But that's not what earns our way to heaven. Then the verse goes on. The very next verse says, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork or craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, absolutely. We are to do good works but it's not those good works that saves us. Quite the opposite, actually. It's those good works that because Jesus becomes a part of our life, we want to do good things. We want to fulfill God's purposes. But it's not fulfilling those purposes that earns us brownie points to get to heaven. Let me tell you a story about a very famous Anglican minister who had to come to this discovery. In the 1700s, there's a chap called John Wesley. There's a statue of him. You think of him as fairly tall there, wouldn't you, in that statue? Do you look kind of tall to you? Five foot four. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little chap. <laughs> um, John, John thought it would be a good profession to go into the church. So he went off to Oxford to study to become an Anglican minister. He felt that was a, a, a right and good thing, a noble choice of profession. And so he studying at Oxford. And uh, he was very committed to doing what he considered good works. Uh, one of the things he would do is go to prison, visit prisoners, bring some food, and read some scriptures to them. He would always make sure that he gave money to the poor. He was also being in train, training for the Anglican ministry, so of course he was involved in leading church services and doing church activities. John was in a, a group that they started to call themselves the Holy Club, and they were very committed to lots of Christian disciplines, such as fasting. And uh, there were some very famous people in that group. His own brother, Charles, who became a great hymn writer, and a, a chap called George Whitfield, who became a very famous evangelist. But at this point, Wesley would write, none of them knew the Lord. Yes, they were studying to become ministers, but they didn't know Jesus. John Wesley, even after he graduated, even went to the Americas. He wanted to preach to the North American Indians. And with translation, he did that. None of them were impacted at all. On his way back, as he's traveling back to England on a ship, having been in America for some time, there was a huge storm, very vicious. 
John was absolutely terrified. He saw a bunch of German Christians who referred to themselves as the Moavians. They were praying, they were singing songs of worship, and the thing that struck him most was they seemed completely at peace in the thick of this terrible storm. John said to them afterwards, were you not afraid of the storm? And the chap says, oh, I thank God, no. And John realized they had something in their life that he just did not have. He arrived back in England and uh, George sent him a letter, George Whitfield. George, in seeking God, had come into this extraordinary experience. The Holy Spirit had come upon him. And he said, waves of joy filled my heart. It was fat. It was full. I knew Jesus. I'm born again. He writes all this to John. John reads it. Probably wonders, what on earth has happened to this man? <laughs> but he again was being reminded there's something missing. And so one evening, as John was uh, listening to the commentary um, of Romans written by Martin Luther, the great reformer, it was being read and there was people around listening to that commentary being read. And as John hears it being read, and Martin Luther, of course, was very strong on this concept that we are saved by faith alone. And as he heard it being read, he said, something happened. My heart felt strangely warmed. I felt Jesus didn't die on the cross for the sins of the world alone. He died on the cross for me. God doesn't just love the world. He loves me. And it all became personal. The Holy Spirit became a part of his life and his ministry from that time blossomed and exploded. But despite all of the good things John had been doing, even working in the church as a minister, he would say prior to that point, I did not know the Lord. I was not born again. It says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Let's have a look at this bridge illustration, the final one of these. It's Christ's work on the cross that makes it possible for us to cross over and engage in a personal relationship with God. Nothing else. As one of my, uh, my first pastor would put it, Pastor Kim Valentine, we're saved by grace alone, we're saved by faith alone. Anyone who adds something to the cross. I had a chap sitting in my office in my last church one time, and he was talking, didn't normally come to church, and he said, I, I disagree. I cannot believe that we are saved by faith alone. We've got to follow the Ten Commandments. We've got to do all manner of good works. It's only with that as well that we can be saved. I'm trying to explain that's not the case. As my old pastor used to put it, anyone who adds something to the cross of Christ, has misunderstood the gospel. It's not what Jesus did on the cross plus something else. No, it is just what Jesus did on the cross. All we've got to do is believe. It says in 1 John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that verse tells us something important. 
Although Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity, doesn't mean everyone's on their way to heaven. It's only those who receive him. It's only those who believe. It's a good question to ask yourself. Have you ever prayed, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. Jesus, I do believe that you came to this world. Jesus, I do believe that you lived an amazing life as a great example for us to follow, but I also believe you died on a cross, that a supernatural thing took place, and when you died, you dealt with all my shortcomings, all of my sins could all be washed away. I want to invite you into my life. Have you ever done that? Because for most people, that's how a relationship with God starts. It starts with prayer, inviting him in, believing his claims. Point three, the third bit of the verse, whoever has the son has life. Whoever has the son has life. Let me read this verse from John. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You notice that will not be judged, will not be judged. God is going to judge Everyone, when they die, for how they have lived and what they've done, except the believer. You will not be judged. Why? Because all of your shortcomings have been washed away because of your faith in Jesus. That's what it says. Will not be judged. Let me read that verse again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, writes John, has eternal life. He's quoting Jesus. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Three things are the result of hearing and believing. In the present, right here and now, if you've heard and you've believed, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. What's eternal life? Let me remind you what it says in, in uh, John's gospel, John 17.3. John records Jesus praying. Remember he said these words? This is eternal life, knowing you, the only true God. Eternal life is about knowing God. It goes on forever, but once you know him, eternal life has started. Future. A future thing. The future is you will not be judged or condemned if you've believed. And the past, what has already happened once you've become a Christian, you've crossed over. You've crossed over that gap, that bridge that Jesus has created by his death. So what takes place when a person becomes a Christian? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's often referred to as a metamorphosis that's what the born again concept is all about there's a change within not the exterior but in your heart there's a transforming change and it's where your value systems are now very shaped by jesus because he lives in your life in the uh, little green book uh, that we've been holding up it says some common things it lists some common things that happen when people become a genuine born again believer Inner peace, it states. A new awareness of sin. You know, because often when you're not a believer, you know some, perhaps some things are wrong, but not much. <laughs> uh, 
And, and it, it, it starts to help us say, oh, actually, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't speak that way. You know, it, it starts to help us see what Jesus' values are, and it helps us make better decisions. It also, uh, new Christians often speak of victory over sins, things that they just felt they could never give up or overcome. Now suddenly they can because Jesus is helping them. New love for God. Desire to read the Bible. I always struggle if someone's a Christian and they're not reading their Bibles. I think, man, you really know him? Positive attitude changes. A sense of forgiveness. You feel forgiven. You feel forgiven. A new concern for others. Um, many of those things were apparent when I became a Christian, and one of them was a new concern for other people. I mean, historically, I didn't care too much about anyone unless they were a friend or perhaps a family member, but, you know, the average person, I really didn't have any sympathy for them, to be honest. That changed. Um, I remember not long ago I was uh, outside Audi, and there's a, there's a, a lady there who often um, begs for money. And uh, I sometimes will, you know, give her a bottle of water or give her a chocolate bar or give her some cash. But sometimes I sit down next to her and we chat. Chat about life. Because there's dignity in knowing the person, not just giving them something. And uh, as I chat to her, you know, she said that, you know, when she was um, younger, she went to university, she was studying psychology. She said, a lot of broken people study psychology, she said. She didn't quite have what it took to finish the course. Um, and she said, I got in the wrong crowd. I got messed up in drugs. I developed a, a, a very bad rental record. Um, I don't have any way to prove that I'm going to pay the rent anymore. Um, and uh, it's meant that most of the time I'm now homeless. Um, she went on to say she also studied English literature when she was there and she showed me some of her journaling. And it's very poetic. It's just, just talking about life, but very poetically in the way she wrote it. We talked on and um, started to talk about spiritual things. And at the end of the conversation, I held her by the hand. You'll often notice when I pray for people, I hold them by the hand and stuff. We were taught in England in an evangelistic thing that, you know, you hold someone by the hand as you, you know, they pray a prayer of, um, perhaps inviting Jesus in their life, often the Holy Spirit can impart something, you know. So I hold her by the hand, done this a couple of times for her, and pray. Every time I do, she always cries. <laughs> and then she profusely thanks me for praying with her. But that's one of the changes for me. I probably, as, as a non-believer, I wouldn't have even noticed her. I just don't think I'd have even noticed her. And she said that's what she gets all the time. People either don't notice her or they look at her like she's dangerous and they, all, they seem scared of her, she said. It says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Let's read that whole verse again. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Part of this little book, what it does is say, once a week, memorize one of the verses. That's the verse you're being asked to memorize this week. Um, and you know, Memorizing, it can be a powerful thing. It's not just memorizing it, it's believing it and it's living it. It's allowing that, that scripture to affect your heart. And I know some of you are saying, Lee, my memory, if you knew what my memory was like, you would not be asking me to do that. <laughs> 
look, I get that totally. I have a, a quite a poor memory. Many of you have probably um, seen me do this. Now, what's, what's your phone number, Lee? I'll just look it up. <laughs> Seriously, I can't remember it. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you really value something, you make an effort. And uh, I've, I've memorized, I probably have about 50 different scriptures that, that I know off by heart. And they become a part of life. Quote them to people. Might be sharing the gospel with someone. I'll, I'll quote a scripture. Someone might have a particular need when I'm praying for them. That scripture I'm able to quote. Well, I'm not asking you to have to do 50. I'm just saying five. Five. And these scriptures are, they're all such foundational ones. They're great verses. You know, many of you um, heard me uh, tell the story of Andy Holmes back at the Easter production. He was the chap I told a story about, a guy that led to Christ in England. He was the one that uh, had a barber shop, successful business, started living the high life, got caught up in cocaine, wrecked his uh, relationship with his partner, no longer was able to maintain the business, got himself in a real mess, serious addiction. You might say kind of lost everything. Well, he came, came along to a church event. It's one of those outreaches where you've seen me do it, where I pick up the guitar, play a screaming solo and share my testimony. <laughs> so it was one of the nights I did that. He came forward with a bunch of other blokes and invited Jesus to be a part of his life. He then uh, completed the Alpha course at my table. I saw the massive change in his life. Um, Also, once we'd finished Alpha, we met one-on-one. I took him through this book. And then we did um, a series I did last year. We did The Life and Teachings of Jesus. Took him through that book. Grounded him. In Christian faith. Uh, when he saw, because I shared his story in the uh, event, as you know, he watched it. <laughs> and he wrote this. Hi, mate. Good to see you well. Thank you so much for bringing me into the sermon. Loved it. Without you, Lee, I probably wouldn't have made it. You're a massive part of my recovery. He means recovery from drugs. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you've done for me, mate. Now, the reality was I didn't do much at all. I simply introduced him to Jesus and Jesus did the work in his heart and the scriptures did the work in his mind. Um, Part of the journey um, with Andy was uh, also bringing him into church life, getting him involved in ministry, baptizing him. And uh, one of the things that, uh, because he had such a powerful testimony, we used him at a few outreaches too. He would share his story. He shares it quite well, actually. Um, actually, Andy was, uh, he's, was emailing me at the beginning of this year saying, Lee, um, I'm saving up to come out to Australia. Can I stay at your place for three weeks? I said, sure, mate, that'd be great. I said, can I meet the people at North Church? I said, sure, that'd be great. Can I share my testimony at North Church? I said, sure, that'd be great. <laughs> and, um, but, ah, oh, terrible. Just a couple of weeks ago, he was, um, he says that, uh, he, he was, his eyes were sort of clouding over when he was in the car and thought, gee, I better get a checkup. And um, he's been in, in and out of hospital for a bit. He, um, I'll just write what his latest one. I was discharged from hospital 
Monday, 11 days in hospital. My condition was a swollen artery in my brain. And they said, if I didn't pick it up, there was, uh, that I didn't pick up something was wrong and didn't go to the op uh, opticians that day, two things could have happened. Uh, first, um, I could have had a massive stroke or second, it could have burst and a blame uh, would have had a, a blood breed in my, my brain. They said that either could have killed me. Um, I'm back in hospital for a biopsy on the, on the side of my head um, and see what shows up. So I'm not out of the woods with my health yet. And as you know, I've already got type two di diabetes. He asked, would you guys pray for him? Would you pray for him? And I said, I can, I can do that. I can ask my church to pray for you. Would you pray for Andy? He'd love to come out. He's got some serious health issues at the moment. Anyone who's obviously done a lot of cocaine, it's going to affect your health, isn't it? Um, but um, by the grace of God, let's pray that he'll be, he'll be back to health. You know, my heart is just as Andy was discipled and still following Jesus despite a really wild background. My heart is that we would have members of this church who are able to make disciples. That some of you would be saying, you know, I would be willing to make a disciple. Commit some time to helping a new believer get grounded in their newfound faith. For me, that one-on-one -on -one discipleship really helped. Yep, small group stuff's good. Going to a church service is good. But that one-on-one -on -one discipleship, it does, I think, take that new believer to another level. It helps ground them more thoroughly. It says in Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So that was Jesus' great commission to us. He wants us to make disciples. It means leading that person to Christ. It means discipling them, grounding them, and it also suggests baptizing them as well. I pray that verse we take seriously. Shall we pray together? You know, let, let me pray a prayer of commitment today too. You know, I said that earlier. Let me, let me lead you in a prayer of commitment because you might be sitting here today and you're thinking, look, I've never, I've never done what you said, Lee. Oh, that, 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 the prayer you prayed halfway through your sermon, I've never done that. Well, here's a chance where you could pray even today. Can I lead you in that prayer? And then I'll just pray generally. Let's pray together. So if you're wanting Jesus in your life, just echo this prayer quietly in your own mind to God. Prayer is just speaking to God. Simply say this. Lord Jesus, I do believe you are the son of God. I do believe you lived an amazing life, a great example for all all of us to follow. I also believe you died on the cross for my sins, my shortcomings, my failings. I ask for your forgiveness and I invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart today. And Lord, help me follow you. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed for a moment because we're going to pray another prayer. But um, just while your heads are bowed, anyone prayed that prayer today? Just raise your hand. Just put your hand up if you prayed that prayer there and you were trying to get Jesus into your life. Just raise your hand. Wonderful. I see those hands. God saw those hands.
Let me pray for you all. Lord Jesus, today we're talking about really foundational stuff that all of us need to know and understand in our, our life. I want to pray that not only will we get ground, grounded in these truths, but also we would be willing to help someone else get grounded in these truths who might be a brand new believer or not quite yet a believer. And so, Father, help us. Help us to be a disciple-making church. Amen. You can have the band return. That would be great. We're going to sing a final song of worship.